Are you looking for affordable health care options? Are you upset by the health insurance options offered by the ACA? Head over to StacyOnTheRight.com and click the banner ad for the Alliance for Shared Health to sign up for health sharing. ASH is a health share ministry with over 40,000 households participating. As a member, you share in the financial burden of health care expenses, including needs sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up your prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, and order lab and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. Open enrollment is now. Don't miss out on the chance to save 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums while making a difference in the lives of others who share your values. Reach out to Ash today. Head over to StacyOnTheRight.com and click the banner ad to sign up now. That's StacyOnTheRight.com. Click the banner ad and start sharing and saving today. Alliance for Shared Health. Changing healthcare, changing lives. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Indeed, I am, and I'm also someone who gets to interview anyone I want, even though I'm black in America today. I also am the proud owner of an ID, a state ID. I have a passport. I know that's odd for black people like myself. The Democrats tell me I'm not able to get those things, yet here I am, a unicorn of all kinds. And I'm so happy to have our next guest on the podcast. I love it when we have a plan come together. And I've interviewed Carol many, many times, and so this is no different. And she has a fantastic piece over at the New York Post. She's a columnist there and one of my favorite people to interview, Carol Markowitz. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Stacey. It's great to talk to you. I I was looking at your piece here, and I'm like, okay, she's channeling the feelings of so many Americans because I saw a poll that hit my inbox this morning at like 4 a.m. We won't talk about why I was up at that time. But um, (laughs) I saw that Americans overwhelmingly are asking for just a few common sense things about the southern border crisis that we're facing. Namely, that we just have the opportunity to have local government officials have a say in how many people are imported Mm -hmm. into their town or their city, and that um, the people who come into the country get COVID tested and possibly vaccinated if available, and that... um, they want to know how the people are going to be cared for. They want to know what 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 is what happens after they're dropped off. Are they just, you know, you're dropped off with a card that says you can access services or people aren't really understanding how this works. In your piece, it's entitled Democrats Want Open Borders But Won't Say So, Causing Today's Cruel Crisis. And the link is in the show notes for anyone who wants to read this. I recommend it and then tweet it out so others can read this. You're explaining how this is actually not a crisis as much as it is uh, an intention where they're moving towards a specific goal? Well, so I think that Democrats don't know what to do. Uh, you know, just to give them sort of the benefit of the doubt, I think that they want to be this party of compassion, but it's not compassionate to let in unaccompanied children, hold them in, you know, cages where they're on top of each other. Um, you know, apparently there's still a pandemic going on, but you'd never know it by seeing those pictures. And then, keep them there indefinitely. How is that compassionate? Um, We don't really have a good solution to what we do because what can we do with these kids other than send them back, which I think is the the most compassionate thing to do. And, you know, the last couple of presidents agreed with me on that, including President Barack Obama. He said, don't send your kids. If you do, we will send them back. 
um, because there's no other option. We can't let them onto American streets. We can't hand them over to some distant relative. We can't place them for adoption services with American parents. They have parents back home. Um, and so we're stuck in this situation where we're trying to do the compassionate thing and we're doing the absolute least compassionate thing, which is just holding them indefinitely in these cages. And Democrats have to stop sending the message to people in other countries that it's okay to come. It's okay to send your kids. It's okay. It's not okay. We have to end that. So Carol, I agree with you a hundred percent, but I'm waiting. I'm kind of, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, okay, you know, 18,000 kids in a country of 330 million. Some people say 340 million. I don't know where we get these numbers from, but somewhere in that vicinity of Americans, um, we have a huge issue because like, if I just think about my daughter's school where she goes, it's a Christian school. You have to pay tuition to go there, but they have huge scholarships. And so they have a certain number of slots that are available. This year, there aren't any because so many kids from public school, when the schools didn't open up in the fall, they, they transitioned in. They, they basically filled us up to capacity. So mm-hmm. that we know that that's an issue with the schools where you pay. In public right. schools, there's this idea that you can just, like, if you needed to, you could drop a thousand kids off at Parkway North where, where we live. But it's actually not true. Because if there aren't enough teachers to, you know, basically the, whatever the, the class size is that parents are paying for and advocating for, if you have to go over that, then you have to hire an additional teacher and start a new classroom. So public schools always say, I know you've seen this, you've written about it. They always say they're underfunded. Now they get 100% mm-hmm. of the tax dollars, even from homes like mine, where we don't send any kids to the district. And all the all my retired neighbors, they don't send any kids to the district, but they still send their tax dollars. So if they're underfunded with all of our kids, how right. do we as a nation absorb 18,000 more children who will need ESL teachers who are twenty to $30,000 mm-hmm. more per year than a regular teacher because they're a specialty teacher? How do, how do we actually pay for this? And how do we um, – I'm talking about navigating the actual mental – thought process of we can afford these illegal alien kids, but we can't afford the American kids that we're already paid to take care of. Right. So it's interesting that you say that because where I live in Park Slope, Brooklyn, which is like the leftist, you know, leftist land ever, um, (laughs) the schools are actually very overcrowded and you couldn't um, add more kids to most of the schools. I don't know what's going to happen after this year because there's been a lot of um, people leaving the system. But in general, you might not get into your zone school. Like you might have a kindergartner starting um, at, at their school and they'll say, sorry, we, you can't come to your local zone school because there's just no space. Um, so, And it's funny because, of course, these are the same people that are advocating for these open borders because they don't, they'll never have to deal with the consequences of that. If, if these kids are brought to their schools, it's like, well, I'm sorry, our schools are full. Um, you know, take them elsewhere. So, you know, we have this cycle of people perpetuating this that have absolutely no skin in the game and will will have no interaction with any of the consequences of the policies that they're pushing. So that, to me, um, that's even worse than what I was discussing here. I mean, if you think about it, Carol, because it's one thing mm-hmm. to say we don't have any room, but they would they would, you know, make some room or they'd hire some additional teachers. But you're saying in, in Park Slope, because it's no, just yeah. a very heavily populated area and very popular. It's it's a nice right. neighborhood that mm-hmm. you have a child. You, you're a taxpayer. You live there. But there's mm-hmm. not actually room in the classroom for your child. Every classroom is completely full. So your child yeah. has to go. You have to drive them a distance or I, I don't know how buses work in New York, but I know you guys have public transportation. But in other words, your kindergartner who should have a space in the school that you're paying taxes for yeah. 
actually can't go there. So that means we can't drop off illegal alien kids in Park Slope. But the people who live there are the ones who want them. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And, you know, they're, again, going back to the compassion thing. It's like it's not compassionate to do this. It's not compassionate to um, bring kids in and have no solution for them. Um, and, And that's sort of where we are right now. So what else are you describing in your article? Because I think the, the thing that I think the thing that really helps, at least for me, and I think when I'm talking with my other girlfriends who are we're in a conservative book club together. So we hash these things out on a monthly basis. And then we have our text mm-hmm. group where there are just literally millions of texts flying all 24 <laughs> hours of the day about these topics. And so what helps me is sometimes I'll read I'll, I'll read, a, you know, a writer like yourself and your thoughts are well organized into a column and it kind of helps me order my thinking like cuz i you i feel out of control i i feel yeah. like when i see the the images of the kids you know the out of control feeling for me comes from I know what it's like when, when I'm away from my kids. They're now young yeah. adults. So yeah. one lives outside of this house. But when she comes home, I feel all of this stress like wash off of my body. And I'm so mm-hmm. relieved to see her as if I you know, thought I'd never see her again. I know I'm going to see her in a few weeks. Right, but right. this happens to me every time she comes home. And she is a woman now. She's 21. Um, mm-hmm. It also happens when, you know, our younger child who is a teenager should go off on an orchestra trip and come back. She's only gone for a couple of days, but I have the same kinds of emotional response to seeing her back in our house. So I can't imagine taking one of these kids. We just have the three kids taking Mm -hmm. two of them and giving them to a smuggler to throw over a fence into another country. I can't imagine that. So I don't know what the parents in South America what negotiations they're making with themselves, mm-hmm. what they're telling themselves about when they'll see their child again, or if they even care. But it feels out of control, Carol, when I see them like in yeah. huge masses under those space blankets, head right. to toe, and side to side. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible and it's heartbreaking. And, you know, as I say in the column, I was a refugee to the U.S. I came to the U.S. when I was a child from the Soviet Union. We didn't hop a plane and get to JFK or airport. Um, we... There was a whole negotiation between, you know, um, the Soviet Union and America uh, as to how they were going to let Jewish people out of the Soviet Union and if America was going to let some number of them in. Uh, There was a holding space in Italy where people would arrive and apply for different visas to different countries. A lot of people got denied. A lot of people went to other countries. People ended up in Australia and Canada and Israel. We got lucky. Um, And I understand that. And I understand that luck is a giant part of life and that's just how it goes. And I feel for these people. I feel their desperation. My parents were desperate just like they were. Um, And I, you know, again, take it back to compassion. Like, I have a lot of compassion for them. I just don't see a workable solution where America throws open their borders and allows in anybody who wants to come. And as I quote in my piece, um, this is, again, not a crazy right-wing idea. Bernie Sanders in 2019, not that long ago, this isn't like Bernie Sanders 30 years ago, this is Bernie Sanders two years ago, said, there are, there are a lot of poor people in this world. If we throw open the borders, my God, all the people that will come was his line. And it's true. We, can't, we simply cannot afford it. We cannot allow it to happen. And if the Democrats want that, they have to debate it to the American people. They have to present their case. And they have to run on it. I want to see some Senate candidates who think we should throw open the borders, run on it and see if they get elected. Let's let's see it happen. Yeah. And and the point you're making about running on it. So they did say things like this, like, you know, we'll be a kindler, gentler administration. Both Kamala Harris and Joe Biden 
intimated from uh, different points in the campaign that they would be uh, there would be a different sheriff in town on immigration. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so people south of America started uh, gathering in caravans, started, you know, printing off T-shirts, started. In other words, they they were like, oh, good. The borders will be open again. And by the time he was inaugurated, they were already there, because if you think about the movement of humanity we're talking about in your piece, you, Mm -hmm. you start off. Last month, more than 170,000 would-be migrants crossed the border, the highest level in 15 years. 170,000 people, Carol, because I live in West St. Louis County, and I'd like to do this for people to kind of have a perspective. To You have to drill down on these immigration numbers into a number that you can negotiate mentally. So 170,000 people is more than three suburban towns, including the one I live in, by yeah. like three times the biggest suburban town we have here in St. Louis County is called Chesterfield. Um, it, it's well in the Western part of the County. I don't know if Hazelwood is bigger than that, but it, it's about 50,000 people uh, total, mm-hmm. not just the adults, everybody that's about right. 50,000 people. So you add in the different communities, you're taking basically a, a huge chunk of a suburban area. And we're at like, I think 23 radio market or DMA. So, you know, we're not top 20 as far as our size in St. Louis, but we're still a pretty decent sized city. That's a lot of people. And we don't know where they're going. And we also don't know who's in this bunch. Like we don't have a good handle on how many of these people are Haitians or uh, people from uh, South Africa because they're finding people from Pakistan and Yemen and places all over the world are in this mass of people. They caught two terrorists this week. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's really the thing is that we because of their overwhelming our border facilities, we have no process whatsoever to see who's coming in. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, they're not illegal immigrants. They're presenting themselves uh, as refugees. Well, there's a process to that, again, and this is not the process. The process is not try to get in and hope for the best. Um, it's, it's very, very different from that. And again, the, the process of a refugee is usually to get out of your country that you're in trouble in. Uh, and get to the first available safe country. And they're passing through several safe countries before they get to America, and they're choosing not to because they're economic migrants. And we have to treat them like that, and we have to look at look at the situation as a situation of economic migration. So in your piece, you say the Bidenites compassion. I love that. I'm I'm going to borrow it, um, Carol, because mm-hmm. I need a term for <laughs> how do, how do you how do you call these people that are basically saying they agree with Joe Biden, but they're really not in agreement if the refugees land in their community. So what happens when people realize what this really means? When 18,000 children leave the U.S. military bases? Uh, This was a story yesterday, too. I mean, the news is coming so fast, it's hard to keep up. Uh, Pentagon OK's third military base to house migrant children amid the surge. What happens when the kids come off the military bases and start hitting the schools and the classrooms, start hitting the uh, the orphanages and the foster homes? What happens to our already burdened system? 450,000 kids in foster care in America today. And the majority of those kids are black. Um, what happens when these kids hit the foster care system, the, the communities, the hospitals, everything like that? Will Democrats then decide to go back to decrying the constant concentration camps like they did when Trump was in office? Well, you don't see any of your Facebook friends posting about this anymore, right? It's, that's, <laughs> no. it's that that's all ended. Um, once the orange man bad is no longer there, the, the crisis is over, the kids have gone home, everybody's happy. Um, I don't know. Again, I think that because the pain is not shared, because um, the the migrant pain um, is not shared across different communities, I'm not sure what happens. I think they 
uh, in a lot of cases, will never feel that there is a surge of people um, often looking for the same, say, uh, low-paying jobs that, you know, non-college educated Americans are looking for. And it, it's going to be the, the, the people that um, you know, w- would oppose this that are going to be most hurt by it. It's not going to be people to support um, open migration, um, open immigration, uh, open borders that are going to be affected by it. Again, you know, sorry, there's no room in our excellent schools. You have to go to some of the bad schools down, you know, a couple of neighborhoods over. And so it's, again, not going to affect them. It's it's just not. Well, I think in some ways, yes, in the beginning. But Democrats have a penchant for going too far. Um, Mm -hmm. So this year it's 18,000. And we're just getting started. I mean, we we could Mm -hmm. theoretically have a few hundred thousand illegal alien kids by the end of the year at this rate. If you just do the math, Mm -hmm. it's not it's not unfeasible to have that number. There is going to become a point where there people traveling outside of Park Slope will see hordes of people in tents on the streets, um, kids roaming the streets because they don't have anyone to take care of them. This, this, there could be an underclass that presents itself mm-hmm. because there's no place for people to go. And, and here in our country, we are not really used to that. In fact, the homeless epidemic that has kind of sprung up in places like California, you know, liberal strongholds, Americans mm-hmm. really are kind of shocked by that. I am always surprised by it when I see these kind of tent encampments that have sprung up all over Washington, D.C. Um, yeah. Just like right around the corner from beautiful museums, you see, you know, 20 or 30 tents right. in the middle of right. winter with snow on the ground. So, this is something that we're just kind of absorbing right now, and it's Americans in the tents. What happens when it's, you know, a few million extra people in the country who don't have anywhere to live? And that there's going to be spillover. There aren't enough areas in the country where liberals don't live for this to become an issue where they can completely insulate themselves. And with Democrats not knowing when to stop, eventually they will feel the pain. But I guess by then it might be too late. Right. It certainly might be. I mean, at the very minimum, um, Democrats are seeing some pushback from their union um, supporters over this because, again, it's the same job market. It's the same skills that they're marketing. Um, and it's a concern that they, you know, th- this new influx of people can do the job at a much, much cheaper rate than the unions can, the union workers can. Um, so I wonder if that's going to matter to Democrats at all or, or if that's just another, you know, base of support that they're willing to lose. Well, you know, and and we are talking about a political calculation here. Um, people in the leadership for the Democrats are counting on these new immigrants and the passage of some of their more radical bills that have already mm-hmm. passed out of the House to create an opportunity for these people to become voters. But, you know, Carol, one thing I've noticed is people don't always behave the way other right. people assume they will. Republicans assumed that no, no, no actual Republican base would get behind a populist president like Donald Trump. He didn't have the right language. He didn't wear sweater vests. He didn't have the right demeanor. But that happened, and he changed an entire political party yeah. and kind of remade it in time at the fly. He didn't. He didn't have a plan to change it. He changed it on the fly. So there's mm-hmm. a chance that. People who are lured here by the Democrats' open borders language, who show up in America and realize that th- this it is the best country in the world, but it, it's also yeah. a place where hard work is rewarded. And these are hardworking people. You, you, if right. you have to say anything about migrants from South America, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. that they are hardworking. Um, 
they could get here and they could plug into the American dream and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and become Republicans. So the, the, right. the calculation that they're automatically going to be Democrats yeah. and all want welfare is, is kind of, it's kind of not intelligent. Yeah, I completely agree with that. In fact, you can look at, again, my immigration story. Um, it was liberal Jewish groups in America that pushed to, to try to get Soviet Jews out. And then Soviet Jews got here and they said, wait a minute, we've seen leftism. We're not doing this. And they're almost all Republicans. It's it's very similar to the Cuban, um, you know, mm. voting patterns of Cubans and you know, Cuban Americans in places like Florida, where once you've seen leftism taken to its natural conclusion, you're not voting for that. And so it is kind of funny that it was liberal Jews that got got me out, and uh, here I am. <laughs> well, it's funny, but it's also a blessing. And I think you know what I. I've been trying to say to myself as I see the stories because I, I feel compassion, but I also feel anger because I don't want kids stacked up on top of each other mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. furniture in a, in a warehouse. Um, I keep trying to remind myself that in the big scheme of things, I don't know what will happen. And these people might actually be angry at the Democrats for bringing them here and then dumping them in communities without any assistance. And the people who come to their aid might just be, Americans, not Republicans, mm-hmm. not Democrats, no matter what they their voting patterns are, but it might just be Americans who fill the the void, and we see um, something good come out of it. I just have to hope that because otherwise, I, this is just the craziest thing, and it's what we predicted. That's the part that I hate about it the most, and I do tend to enjoy saying I told you so on occasion. I'm <laughs> a mom, but you know, Carol, I hate it when I'm right about something like this. Yeah. This has just gone mm-hmm. so wrong. Yeah, I I agree. I I would like to be wrong also. I'd like to see um, different policies and um, especially different rhetoric. But, you know, again, here we are. And, um, you know, back to the compassion thing. I think we need to, as Americans, do the compassionate things for these people. And part of that is dissuading them from coming. Mm, I agree 100 percent. Carol Markowitz, columnist for The New York Post and a fantastic guest for the podcast. I I hope to have you on The Serious Show very soon. Uh, It's so good to talk to you again. Thanks so much, Stacey. All right. That's the podcast for today. And we will have so much more for you. Nights on Sirius XM from 9 to midnight. Go to familyvisionmedia.org and check out our content over there. It's fantastic. And click on the banner ad at staysteadyandright.com to find out more about health sharing. See you next time.